What's the makeup of the 2023-24 Tar Heels, and how are they going to go about growing through last season's ups and downs? There's no better place to find out than someone who's been in their shoes. Today, we're joined by Tar Heel and NBA champion Pete Chilcutt. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, folks. It's Thursday, October 12th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listener watch to help you get your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked on Network. Make every moment more when right now new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets, guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Coming up on the show today, man, we're just hanging out, spending the entire time with Pete Chilcutt. Uh, we're going to get the opportunity to talk about his time as a Tar Heel, his experiences in the late 80s, early 90s there. Just a heyday of North Carolina basketball. I know that you all are as excited as I am to reminisce about those stories with Pete. And uh, man, so Pete, thank you so much for joining us. It's so great to have you on the show. Yeah, my pleasure, Isaac. Always good to come talk uh, Carolina basketball with anybody. <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely it is. And that's where we want to start is talking about this year's team. You know, as we sit here on Thursday, October 12th, uh, tomorrow is live action. The former, you know, Midnight Madness, the former Late Night with Roy. Uh, the first chance for folks to see the Tar Heels. We're just a couple weeks away from the exhibition game against St. Augs. And uh, just about three weeks away or, or so from tip-off of the regular season on November 6th. And so, um, Pete, just before we even get uh, into talking about this year's Tar Heels, think, thinking back to yourself, about three weeks away or so from the beginning of the season, what would be going through your brain as you prepared for a new year? Well, you know, it was always an exciting time, Isaac. Uh, you know, during my time, and I'm sure during these guys' times, it's still kind of the same basic concept. We we work our butts off during that summer. That, that summer is when you get that growth and that development. You, you play so many late-night pickup games and, and hours and hours of played against former former players and NBA vets, and, and you're really just eager to get started, really to show not only your, yourself but your teammates and your coaches how much better you've gotten and, and things that you've developed over the summer. Um and I know I'm, I was always excited to get in there, but also it was it was a tough uh, a tough sled because that preseason was always tough, you know, with the conditioning and the, and the hard practices. It wasn't like it was uh, a piece of cake to get into the season. You had to work hard, and even though you thought you were in good shape, you weren't really in good shape until <laughs> Coach Smith said you were, and that was uh, a little bit more difficult than we thought. Yeah, I think I would rather go with my own definition of in shape than Coach Smith's. That seems like a, a higher threshold to meet. And I'm sure you're getting to the point where it's like, I'm tired of going up against these guys that know every single move I make and know exactly our play calls. I'm ready to see a different jersey, right? You got to get to that point. You definitely do. But again, it, you know, we had we had stacked rosters pretty much every year where, where the competition was outstanding. And uh, I mean, my freshman year, I came in and I was a, a four man per se. And I had Scott Williams and J.R. Reed in my class with me. And then I had established vets like Dave Popson and Joe Wolf that were playing ahead of me, uh, which led to my being registered that year. But that was just a kind of uh, a snapshot of what it was to compete at Carolina and really any of these top programs. You know, you go in every year 
And there's not only the older vets returning, there's new players coming in to, to compete. So it's always a tough sled. <laughs> that is that is a stocked front court for sure, Pete. That's wild. So, okay, help. That's that's so helpful stuff to think about. What what is that mindset right now in these weeks leading up? But I, I'd like to talk about this year's Tar Heels team because it's always fun to think ahead as to what's going on. Now I know you were there some this summer and, and got to see a little bit of the Tar Heels. What 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 really stood out to you, or what were maybe some things you liked that you saw about the makeup of this year's roster? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I'll just compare it because I went, I came back last summer and I moved back to this area uh, in the summer. So I went to a lot of practices last fall and I've gone to uh, through the summer camp and I saw the summer camp game uh, this summer. And then I also went to a practice about three weeks ago. Um, and I'm actually going to practice uh, hopefully this week. Um, so I like to kind of compare and contrast what's going on versus what I went through, what I saw last summer and what I saw this year. Um, and let me tell you, Isaac, uh, I wouldn't say it's night and day, but I would say maybe it's my timing of when I went to the practice a few weeks ago. It was ultra competitive um, where where last year you may have saw some complacency. Um, this year, I think I saw uh, the, a fire and a passion out there uh, with guys competing. I mean, they're, they're literally trying to earn their spots out there. Um, whereas last year, I think kind of people knew where they were going to play. Um, this year, I think there's, there's a lot of question marks on who's going to play where and, and what, what position and how many minutes. So. It, it was good to see the passion and fire that I saw a few weeks ago. Um, and I saw the coaching staff really engaged. And I, I just I just feel like this year this team is going to be um, back to what we're used to as far as just being out there competing and, and having some good pieces that we haven't had before. What what does that level of competition versus that preseason complacency, why, why is that such a valuable commodity? Well, I just think it just sets a mindset. Um, I, as I said, I, I compared to my time, my time period, and, and I felt like w in my position, especially there, there was nothing guaranteed. I kind of knew, uh, I knew I might get in in that first half for a good four minute stretch, uh, yeah. but after that, there was nothing guaranteed. You had to kind of earn your playing time. Um, and, and as Hubert said, and, and I, I think people just dismiss a lot, it is done a lot in practice. You you got to build that confidence with the coaching staff. That, that no matter what, uh, you're not just a flash, you're consistent and, and you're going to give them the consistent minutes and the consistent minutes on defense, offensive, rebounding, whatever the coaches are looking for. Um, so it's kind of a, a time where you're really trying to not only prove to yourself and, and your teammates, but also to the coaches that, that you're just a, a solid piece. And that's just done with, with repetition, it's hard work and it's consistency. Man, that's so good. And you, you talked, Pete, in that first kind of statement you made about, you know, you said maybe it's not night and day different, but there are certainly differences from what you saw last year. Um, as you watched last year, whether it was in practice or, or watching the games, what were some of the, some of the things that you noticed about that team that specifically you think needs fixing? And then I, I'd love to address after that, if you think Carolina has gone about addressing those issues. You know, you know, I'm, I'm first of all, I will state I, I defend Carolina basketball and Coach Davis to pretty much everyone a, every day. I have I have misgivings about some of the things I see, but I'm not a coach and I never have been. I have no nowhere near the level of any of these coaches experiences. But what I saw last year, I don't know if it's a, it's a necessarily a coaching issue, but I I just felt like they never gelled. They never seemed like they really played as, as a unit. Everything was kind of a struggle. Even through some of the good stretches, we'd have a, a great game, but not really ever back it up with another game of, of consistent teamwork and, and, and play. And it looked like uh, some of the stuff just wasn't, whether it was team chemistry or whatever, it just wasn't um, wasn't there when it should have been. And it should 
the team chemistry is something you can't manufacture. You can't, the coach can't tell you to be better as teammates and better team, uh, to have that team in chemistry as a focus. You, it just happens. And uh, I think it's built through the offseason. It's built through team camaraderie um, and just all having the same goal uh, going forward. And, and I didn't know that I saw that last year. And again, I don't know that you blame coaches for that at all. Uh, sometimes you got pieces that maybe just don't gel. Um, I, I know everybody on that team last year was extremely talented and it just didn't seem to happen for whatever reason, uh, that team chemistry. It's such a weird, like moving target to try to hit with team chemistry. And you, you put all these pieces together with the right intentions and you do all the same stuff. And sometimes it works and sometimes it just seems to not Pete. And, you know, one, I think one of the key things that stuck out and coach Davis has identified this as one of his key offensive principles for the team this year was the team as a whole had an assist percentage under 50%, which is, I mean, that's just a Carolina staple, as you talked about, you know, having these staples of so many years under under Coach Williams, under Coach Smith. Uh, the, the team was up at 60% and above. Is, is, is that one of the keys for you? And, and what else might you see as critical um, for this year's team to maybe adjust in on court? Yeah, I, I think going back to Coach Smith and even through some of the Coach Williams stuff, I mean, the team was trademark was getting those easy baskets, the fast break, the running up and down the court. And uh, I just don't think I, we saw that at all last year. As you said, it, it was startling some of the games we saw where there's actually no fast break points or, or one or two assists. And, you know, some of the assist numbers – uh, you can actually point to me that it, it, it was it was guys getting just tough shots all night. Like the shots were really tough and, and guys are getting at the end of the shot clock. It seemed like that happened a lot. But uh, I think you kind of balance the tough shots by getting easy shots. And I just don't think we did that. We I think we tried to push it, um, but I just don't think they were successful in, in getting that ball up and down the court and making other teams react to us, uh, not us reacting to them. Well, and it, and it sounds like your former teammate Hubert Davis is out there, uh, actually, literally running with them along the sideline at practice. When you, when you picture uh, that man that you've run beside so many times in your life, just sprinting up and down beside Elliot or RJ or something, what hops into your brain? Uh, he needs to watch out for his hamstrings. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I love Hubert and, and all those coaches. I mean, those guys are all former players, and all of them actually really good former players. Uh, but, but when you get to a certain age, you want to just make sure you're, you're doing the verbal coaching. You don't want to show them. You just want to tell them. But, but I have been to practices, and, and, I, and I've told you, they're all engaged. Um, and, and I'm telling you what they didn't do last year but from a, from a visual standpoint. But I'm telling you, the coaches are, are preaching what I'm preaching. So they weren't saying we're going to walk it up. Uh, they, we want to push it, right? We want to get the ball up the court quickly. But it starts with rebounding, with getting some stops, and, and then making some smart plays and getting in the right position. And again, that just all that stuff just didn't seem to gel last year. All right. Great stuff from Pete. We need to clip that out and send it to Coach Davis. Watch out for those hammies. Coach, you you uh you don't want to be sitting on a, on the sideline not moving around during games this year. We do want to get into Pete's time in Chapel Hill as a player, as a student, his time alongside Coach Davis and what those years were like. Again, a great stretch of North Carolina basketball. We're going to talk about all that in just a second. But first, I need to tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by FanDuel. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. 
You've been thinking about joining FanDuel? There's no better time to get in on the action than right now. The app is super easy to use. You can bet on all sorts of stuff. Spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Folks, I want to remind you also that coming up tomorrow on Friday from 11 a.m. Eastern till noon is Locked On College Football Kickoff Live, where the guys will be getting you ready for this weekend of college football. Carolina hosting Miami, a massive game. The Hurricanes trying to make up for that embarrassment against Georgia Tech on Saturday of last week. Make sure you tune in right here on Locked On Tar Heels to Locked On College Football Kickoff Live. We're joined today by Pete Chilcutt. Tar Heel stud coming uh, to us. He was part of the teams in the late 80s, early 90s, for those of you who weren't uh, on this earth yet at that point. But man, some phenomenal Tar Heel teams, just a great era of Carolina basketball. And so we have the opportunity today to get into that. And so, Pete, I want to first talk about you mentioned earlier that you had actually redshirted. Um, and so, was that a, a conversation that you and the coaching staff had had? Ahead of time, did you know coming in to Chapel Hill from Alabama that, that that was the plan, or did you get there and that was the decision you all made together? Yeah, it was a very, uh, very. It was a surprise. Um, I came in as most high school all McDonald's all Americans, thinking I'm going to come here and show everyone how great I am. And as I mentioned, I walked on the court and realized there's there's four guys that were uh, significantly big challenges to that goal of mine: uh, Joe Wolf, Dave Popson, Scott Williams, and J.R. Reed. And, and so I think it was after the first blue-white game, uh, Coach Smith came up to me and said, hey, hey, Pete, let me talk to you before practice. And he kind of said in no, no uncertain terms, it's going to be hard for you to get on the court. Um, and I'd, we'd, we'd like you to consider redshirting to get better physically and mentally and, and develop for the next couple of years. Um, he mentioned they had only had one previous uh, redshirt, Marty Hensley, a non-medical redshirt. Um, it's not something they used to do a lot. You know, they, a lot of teams do that just to kind of save scholarships, burn, you know, save some save some playing time. But for for Carolina, it's always unique. And so um, I I I saw the I'm, I was dumb, but I wasn't stupid. I saw the writing on the wall <laughs> and knew. And, and it was very hard, though, Isaac. It was a, t a very tough decision. And I didn't really realize that until, you know, during the season when I'm sitting there in my suit every game. Uh, and it was hard. And I tell people all the time that was probably the hardest year I've had. Um, but it was a decision that, that Coach Smith recommended. I talked to my mom and my dad, and same idea. It was just it was just a smart decision, and I and I'm thankful for that. And and uh, if you had seen me play as a freshman, and see me as a senior, it ends up being a pretty good decision. But you just don't know it at the time. You know, at the time, it's just a tough thing to go through. Man, interesting. Well, I, I'm so glad. Uh, like, I think that's just such a good example of the willingness to listen to wisdom from from those above you that have lived more life. And and I don't think that that's always the state of mind that everyone has. And I'm not saying anything about anyone particular or any certain generation. I just think that uh, there's something that's a good life lesson about somebody willing to listen to, to those who have lived life longer. So uh, thank you, Pete, for that example. That's great. Well, now, yeah, it wasn't hard. <laughs> So I, I mentioned, but this was a phenomenal era of Carolina basketball. In your four years of playing, two Sweet 16s, an Elite Eight, a Final Four, one regular season ACC championship, 87 and 88, 
season and then two ACC tournament championships, 1989 over the Duke Blue Devils, of course, after losing to them the year before. And then your senior year, 91 over Duke, blowing them out in the ACC tournament championship. And we just won't uh, yet talk about who won the national championship that year because I don't think we need to go there. But Pete, I mean, as you look back and reflect on that level of success year after year after year and just how hard it is to replicate that when you've got so many teams across the country and in the ACC vying for all those awards and uh, postseason success, what is it about that time in that era that made you all so successful every year? Well, you know, you really are talking about the part of the heyday of Carolina basketball. And I'm one of those guys who thinks it always should be the heyday. Like there should never be a downturn in that. Um, our expectation every year was for those goals to win the ACC regular season, to win the reg- ACC tournament and to win the, the, the title. Um, it was pretty realistic with our, get our talent. Um, but again, I think, I think there was a hunger and, and a passion and, and a, the team camaraderie and the team um, chemistry during those, those, that four year stretch. And even the five year stretch, to be honest, the best team I was ever on was that 87 team with Joe Wolf and Kenny Smith. Um, but the, the fact that we kind of reached those levels every year, um, and I'll tell you what, a lot of teams may have sat back and, and look at those accolades like you did and, and be impressed. We were disappointed two of those, three of those years that we should have done more. I mean, we, we felt like we were short. We, we, we didn't perform to our expectations in two of the, or three of those years where we could probably should have won a title. So you got to have those high expectations. You got to be you got to be demanding on yourself and as a team. Um, and then we were lucky enough to get to reach some of those goals. But again, the, the funny thing is I look back at those years and think we should have won some more stuff like that. That's my memory. Uh, not not what we did accomplish, but what the stuff we missed out on. Yeah. What Pete, if you could isolate and pick out one of those years where it's like this is the team that I think of, of the ones I played on that what probably could have or should have won the national championship which which maybe one would you identify that's a tough question it really is as i mentioned without a doubt i didn't play on this team but that red shirt year with joe wolf kenny smith and jr reed um that that team was outstanding probably the best team that should have won it but if i didn't play on that team i'll, I'll leave them out um I mean, gosh, we lost to Michigan one year when we really had a good team. They just played lights out. Um, yeah. The final four year, we just kind of pooped on ourselves in that game. Uh, that would have been an uh, epic matchup in the final with Duke. Um, so I would, if I had to say uh, that, I want to say probably the final four team, just because we were there and, and yeah. we kind of had, we had all the pieces. We had a deep team with all that, that big, uh, big, deep freshman class. Um and unfortunately, that 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 game against Kansas, we kind of just didn't. And unfortunately, it was the seniors who kind of led the way, not playing well that that night. But uh, we had some really talented teams, and every year, I think we could have actually won it with a few more breaks. But that's that senior year, just one more game would have been a, a, an epic matchup. And that that ninety ninety one final four, or that nineteen ninety one final four was absolutely loaded, as you said. You guys, Duke. Kansas with Coach Williams in his third year, UNLV. Um, ha- had you had much interaction with Coach Williams at that point? And, and if so, how odd then was it to go up against him in the Final Four? Well, you know, Coach Williams was with me my first two years in Carolina. And I used to say that he that I was his personal whipping boy. He was very <laughs> tough on me. Um, and he even I, – I saw him back maybe five, six years ago at one of the reunions and uh, – he actually apologized. He's like, I, I was really tough on you. And he was kind of surprised I was, I had gotten over it. I'm like, coach, 
I needed that. Like that was something that was good for my development, but I can understand uh, why he would have thought that way because he was tough on me, uh, helping me develop that mindset of just being a positive impact player, trying trying to get things positive on the court. So after the first couple of years and to meet him in the final four, you know, we had that little itch to beat him uh, just because of, of that he had left. We all kind of knew him. Uh, but he was an outstanding coach, obviously, no matter where he was. And that Kansas team was tough and physical and, and, and played well that game. But again, uh, the senior class kind of didn't rise to that occasion that night. And, and it was unfortunate. And Coach Smith got ejected in that game, right, if I remember correctly? It was. Uh, it, he did. Um, and not that I'm proud of it, but he got his first technical arguing a call that I, against me. I got in foul trouble and he argued one of the calls, and they teed him up, which, was, which is rare enough to get that one technical. Uh, and then to get the second one there at the end of the game and get him ejected for the only time in his career was was kind of uh, not a great finish for the season. Um, but again, it, it, it just the, the whole game was kind of a game we want to forget about. And and uh, and I'm sure as as you saw two years later, they got redemption. <laughs> they very much did. 93 beating that same Michigan team that uh, you just talked about, what a great feeling that was. Now, I want to talk a little bit more with Pete about his time at Chapel Hill. I'm curious if maybe he was a man ahead of his time as a stretch for, want to ask about playing with Coach Davis, Coach Lebo, and those things, and the time with Coach Smith, just this wonderful human being who so many people now probably just know through stories and not in real life. So I want to talk more with Pete about that in just a second. But first, today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire, it can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's really easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn, and then you just add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're talking to Pete Chilcutt today. We've been talking about his time uh, as a Tar Heel in the late 80s, early 90s. And, and Pete, I want to just reflect a little bit on your um, skills as a player. We, we've been talking about some, some other time down the road. We want to talk about your NBA life and all those experiences. <laughs> but one of the things that really stands out to me about your game is that you were a career 34.5% three-point shooter in your junior year. You shot 40%. And Pete, it makes me think, I think you were a stretch four who in today's game probably would have uh, kind of found your heyday. Do you, do you think you were uh, an anachronism playing in the wrong era? I like the way that sounds. Um, absolutely, Isaac. And, and, and if we talk about the NBA later on, you'll see I actually developed way more of a three-point game in the league. So in Carolina, I had the range. Um, it's just a different time when we didn't shoot as many threes. Uh, I was probably not as aggressive as, sh as I should have been. I played with some great players that, that, that I, every day that were knock it down. But if you didn't have that right time to shoot it with Coach Smith and you shot it, you'd, you'd come out. So uh, it was very selective three-pointers. But uh, 
I definitely think if I had played 20 years later, I'd probably be in my mansion in Beverly Hills right now <laughs> instead of uh, just slumming it here in Raleigh. <laughs> it's so interesting how the game continues to evolve. Pete, I, I, I think we need the time machine. We need to get young Pete and bring him to this era and let you just ball out. I think that would be phenomenal. That'd be now, awesome. <laughs> so uh, we've mentioned it already, but you and, and Coach Hubert Davis were teammates for three years. I, I'm just curious, like, you know, what, what it was like playing with teenage and young 20s Hubert Davis. And if you saw things in him then, that would suggest or portend the man we know him to be today as the current head coach of the Tar Heels. Well, I don't, I guess you obviously don't know the other top secret that I hold is that I used to live with Hubert. I lived with Hubert my senior year. Um, and so I got some secrets and some stories that I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty much guaranteed, really guaranteed really good seats for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> so Hubert is a great guy. I did live, live with him my senior year here in Carborough. Um, he, he was always a quiet kid when he came in. You know, you may have heard about some of the trauma he had with his life and his, and his parents, uh, his mom, before he came to college. Very religious man as he came in. Um, very dedicated. Just very quiet, though. Um, matter of fact, we joke about it. When I had asked him to live with me, he said that was the first time I spoke to him in two years. <laughs> so we both weren't very verbose. Uh, we both kind of just played our game and, and, and kind of were the silent type in the corner. But as far as skill set, uh, the thing that I loved about his story uh, was he was also kind of not expected to do much here at Carolina. He had been told by Coach Smith that he probably would, he'd welcome to come, have a scholarship, but he probably wouldn't play very much. And that was kind of the kind of thing that you didn't hear from Coach Smith unless he really thought it. You know, he would tell most players, you have to earn this and earn that, and, you know, you can do this and that. But Hubert was kind of led to believe that he'd just be happy to be on the team. And uh, and when he came here and you and you saw his skill set and you saw how hard he worked. And again, he was very consistent on what he brought to the table. It was just great to see how he developed, not only to play at Carolina, but I mean, an outstanding uh, career, three point shooter, NBA career. Everything that he's done has been through uh, earned through hard work. It's really neat to see. And let's not forget that another coach on the coaching staff was another one of your teammates, Coach Lebo, who obviously has head coaching experience himself. Uh, we talked about your three-point shooting. Holy cow, watch out when either of these guys step out and light it up. Well, what about Coach Lebo and, and uh, memories of him as a teammate? Well, Coach Lebo was a little bit older than us as we came in, and, and we talked about him the other day because he was the guy in on the team, you know, as freshmen we come in, and, uh, and Jeff and I and Scott were talking about this just the other day. We, we don't have cars. We, didn't, we weren't allowed to have cars on campus. So we were uh, relying on upperclassmen to get us to practice a lot of times. And we'd always bum and rides and bum and rides. But we could always walk. It was about a mile and a half to the Smith Center from Granville. So we, were up, you know, we would like to get a ride. So I remember a couple of times where Coach Lebo was the, uh, the typical vet where he, he, he may take us one time, but he may just drive right by us two other times. He wasn't, uh, he was you know, all about getting you, the underclassmen, earn your stripes, you know, prove yourself, work your way up the ladder. But on the court, dead eye, great player, great shooter. Um, you like to say uh, he did everything that Coach Smith wanted him to do and then some. And when you know what that means, I mean, Coach Smith expected a lot. So the fact that he developed a, a great ball handling, was able to distribute the ball, but the shooting, and even even back then, as I mentioned, the, the, the shooting was less than it would be today. So if he had more of that green light the kids have today, it, it kind of been really impressive as if it really wasn't already. So he was he was a great player, great shooter and a tough role model for us to, uh, for freshmen coming in. 
Pete, let's talk about this man that brought all of you guys together. It's hard to believe that it's been over 25 years since Coach Smith stepped away from coaching the Tar Heels. Um, and so because of that, though, I think there are a lot of people that may be listening to or watching this that just don't even have memories of Coach Smith actually coaching the Tar Heels. It's just myth and lore and legend. Right, um, right. And so for those who only understand him in that mythical way, could you share a, a story perhaps that helps encapsulate who Dean Smith was as a man and as a coach? You know, I, I, I know I, I was going to try to come up with a, with a story. Um, and, you know, there, it's like every day of his life could have been the story because mm -hmm. the man lived his life um, like he preached it. And, and I know we're all human and he had some he had some stuff he probably would, was not proud of. I know the only thing I can think of that I ever saw was he used to chain smoke back in the day. And I guess you could say that wasn't a great idea. But beyond that, uh, the man just lived how he preached. He was he was a, a servant. He preached for us to be servants. He did things for the right reason. Um, you know, one of the things he said was, you, "You do the right thing because it's the right thing to do." And, and you know, just just that. And and, and again, I, I'm sorry I don't have a specific story, mainly because it just it just every time we talk to him. And every time we saw him speaking, he was humble. He he want he didn't want attention. Um, he was one of the best coaches that I've ever seen or been around. Um, he was innovative on the court. You know, bringing changing changing the game almost with the four corner with the trapping defenses with the with the pushing the ball. Um, he never stopped trying to get better as a coach, but at the same time, he leaned on his assistants for help. Um, so, I mean, and again, just everything he did was, was the right way to do it. And, and I'll tell people, uh, and I'm not, I have no, I love my father. I love my stepfather, but Coach Smith was the best man I've ever been around. Um, and I learned things from him that, that I just don't learn anywhere else. And, and they have carried me today as far as work habits and why am I doing things? And I'll tell you, Isaac, if you, if you do the right thing for the right reason, it, it, it just gives you this, this great emotional feeling. And I, and I do it. And I, and I know now why I'm doing this because I, I was shown that way. So um, just, just living in, in living around that man and being around him for four or five years. And after I left Isaac, you know, he never stopped caring about me. I remember I was in a, a apartment in Sacramento my second year and I came back to my apartment with a former player. And there was my, you know, in the old days we had the answer machines and it was the, the light was blinking. So I pushed the, uh, pushed the button and it was, it was, hey, hey, Pete, and it says, Coach Smith, just calling you in, seeing what's going on. And the guy's like, your coach still calls you? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't crazy for me, but it was crazy for this other player to see this relationship that was out there. And, and it, it's no joke. He would call and check on former players all the time, all the time. And we were free to reach out to him. So the, 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 we talk about the family. Um, you can't make that stuff up. You can't make up the kind of man he was. You're probably, you know, Hubert's really good, a great person, but he still probably wouldn't hold a candle to the the way that I, I saw Coach Smith. Um, I hope some of these new players look at Hubert that way because he does make a lot of the right decisions the same way Coach Smith does. Um, but again, it's just a high standard that I don't know that we'll ever see again. Ooh, Pete, that, that gets, I mean, I, I don't want to emotionalize it, but that, that really makes me misty. I'd like, I, I sat here trying to hold back tears because I love that you couldn't find a story to tell because th this was the quote you said, every day of his life could have been the story. And if that could be true of all of us, 
Like I, I could go to my grave knowing that if I lived every day for Jesus or whatever it needs to be in my life, that that's the story that's told, then praise God for that. And so Pete, just thank you for regaling us in that way. That's brilliant. What, one other question I got to ask you that I always love to ask Coach Smith's former players. What, what did you do with your check? Uh, you know, for, for those who aren't aware, Coach Smith left every former player $200, right, is the amount, uh, $200 check from his will to go out to each former player, ask them to spend it. I know several people have not because <laughs> they couldn't. So, Pete, what did you do with your Coach Smith check? Well, first of all, you have to understand there's a lot of, uh, and I would say there are misconceptions about me through my former teammates. For some reason, they think I'm 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 a tightwad, and I can't understand that, Isaac. I spend I probably spent more money in my life than most of these guys. But when we word out came out about that check, they all looked at me like Chili, don't you cash that check? <laughs> I'm like, come on, I love that man more than anything. I said, but I got to find a way to get my money. And the check. So it's actually funny you mentioned that. I'm going to reach over here and grab on my wall. And this is what I did with it. Uh, I don't know if how you can see this or not. Probably not, looks like. Uh, anyways, this is a picture of Cook Smith. And yep. down here is a, is a, a foot, is the check. So I was able to do a digital deposit where they don't take the check. And then I just framed it up and I put it on my wall because the most important thing about that was not the money, obviously. Uh, although it did help, <laughs> it was the gesture. The fact that the man, um, as I mentioned, was was such a, a great and giving man throughout his whole life that he's like, I'm, I'm not going without one final gift to to every single player that played for me. And again, it, it, it just a testament. And again, for for the players who who got the check, um, it, it that's what it meant. You know, when you, when you're in the newspaper reading about it, some people are probably saying, oh, that's not that much money or well, that, that's not a big deal. But it, it is. It's not the check amount. It's, it's the gesture uh, of what it meant for for the family. And again, if you if you weren't in the family, you don't know. You'll never understand. Uh, I guarantee you, this is this is what family does, and we continue to do. And we're always there for each other. And the fact that he did that as his final thing was was amazing and just a testament to him. Ooh, and Pete Chilcut, I love the chilliness. Being a savvy digital man, getting that check cash, yeah. still holding on to the physical representation of it. My man, you are a genius, and I love it. So, uh, for folks who might not be aware, you know, you had mentioned you moved back to the area. Just, just give us a couple things about what's going on in your life these days. Sure, uh, Isaac. I moved back last 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 uh, summer. My daughter is now a sophomore at Carolina. That was the reason for that. We came back. She's she was a member of the track team last year. She pulled off this year due to a lot of injuries, so she's no longer competing. Uh, in the meantime, my wife told me a few months ago to start getting off the couch and doing some more things. So in April uh, of twenty three, Jeff Denny and I. Jeff Denny is another former player in the same class as mine. We purchased the uh, Generator Supercenter of, of Raleigh. So uh, it's right here in the Triangle off of Glenwood. We sell uh, Generac generators. We have um, our area is kind of Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. We go over to Winston-Salem. We go south a little bit. So we're in the area uh, selling Generac generators. We've noticed a lot of uh, the need for the with the power grid and the storms and the, the power lines out here. In the, in the, I've lived, I'm living in the country now, Isaac. More A lot of big trees and two-lane roads is... And, and I love being in the, I don't love being in the office, but I love being in the market of trying to, you know, be competitive and sell things with Jeff. Jeff's a great, a great uh, partner in this. So we've been doing that since April and looking forward to doing that for many more years in the area and being around. We're supporting 
some local schools with, with, with some programs with, with our with our junior rack players of the month and stuff like that. But we're just happy to be in the community again for myself. You know, I've been gone for 20 plus years out in Sacramento, where my wife was from. So back back on the right side of the country and, and enjoying every minute of it. Oh, that's great, Pete. And what a cool way to both help and to do something with a former teammate. You love to see it. And uh, I know that that's got to be a blast for you and Jeff to get together in yep. that way. Pete Chilcutt, thank you so much for joining us today on Locked on Tar Heels. Can't wait to have you back sometime soon to talk more about this year's team and for everyone to hear about your NBA life and career as well. My, my pleasure, and believe me, I got a lot more stories. <laughs> I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> Folks, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Thank you so much for joining us. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. Follow me at Isaac Shade. If you'd like to have more in-depth conversation, you can email us, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. If you want to join this growing community of Locked on Tar Heels, you can join our Discord, where we have great conversations about all sorts of everything going on with Carolina. The links are in the show notes, both on video and audio. Speaking of which, go ahead and subscribe to the show on video and audio formats. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button to show us you are here, and we'd love to hear your comments on today's show, perhaps your memories of Pete as a player. That's it for today's episode. It's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. We'll be right back with you tomorrow. But until then, peace.